This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. This episode features a conversation with Nigel Wingrove. Nigel is an art director, filmmaker, author, and magazine editor. I wanted to chat with him because of his work with photographer Chris Bell and Cradle Filth. I'm asking all of the key players in the era spanning the 1990s if they're keen for a chat. If you're new to what I'm doing here, that's what I'm up to. Hence, the Chronicles of Filth. Nigel is the essential player in carving out a visual identity for the band. Now, if you're watching via video, I'll carousel his images throughout this introduction. You will recognize many. Nigel's imagery was used across merchandise from the principle of evil made flesh up to and not including Cruelty and the Beast. And he created the album covers for the principle of evil made flesh, Vampire and Dusk. You'll hear why the band and Nigel went separate ways throughout the chat, so I'm not going to give that away here. Needless to say, we as fans, we have been gifted an extraordinary body of work. One can't help but think what might have been had Nigel continued to act as art director and Stu, Nick and Les if they'd stayed on in the band to craft that Clive Barker concept album and God knows what other majesty their imaginations would have conjured together. Just think about it. Nigel's a tremendous fella. I thoroughly enjoyed this chat and it took place at 3am Brisbane time so I had to set a few alarms to make sure I didn't miss it. But no chance of that. I was so keen to talk to Nigel. And as I've said before, everyone that I've spoken to throughout the Chronicles of Filth is just fantastic. From Nick, Stu, God rest his soul, Greg, Was, Ben, Paula Lender, Chris Bell and now Nigel Wingrove. Let's go. There's such enormous interest by a cohort of fans. You may be aware of this, but Cradle of Filth is more or less a legacy act these days. The band that you were associated with has probably nothing to do with the band that's going around right now, except for one person, Danny. Danny, yeah. He's some, well, not somehow, I mean, he's been at the head of the table, so he's the one who's engineered things. That's the only way to describe it. And the band is all his these days. There's... Co-contributors yes. certainly, but uh, in uh, all but name, I'd say. And mm. that e- that era back then was seen as far more of a collaborative effort. And certainly the musicians are Stuart Anstis. I don't know whether you remember Stuart, Nick Barker. Because uh, basically, well, I mean, I can go through it, but they when um, Cradle, because uh, I started Redemption, which is my you know horror label and stuff, mm. Start, I started trading in 93, but in 92, I started, because uh, my background was magazines, actually, was and, and then, then filmmaking. Um, but I started, I'd come up with the idea for Redemption in 92, and I kind of, when I get into something, because uh, I was making a transition then, if you like, from making my living from designing magazines and working in publishing to starting a film label, basically. And there was a transition period between basically deciding I'd had enough of um, magazines, or at least working in magazines and publishing. Partly there, was, there was also a recession in the UK. That was another, another, another motivating force because I couldn't, you know, wasn't able to earn as much money, you know, money again. Hmm. Um, but I started, because I kind of immersed myself in that, I basically I started a horror zine or a magazine, basically, around Redemption, which is a company I wanted to do. And I'd kind of immersed myself in horror culture by the by all the horror zines. And, 
it was that magazine, which is what where I created a lot of the images that Cradle used, basically. That's what I'm trying to that's sorry, that's a point I was trying to make in the sure. sense that, that that's how because Danny, I think Danny contacted me, I can't remember exactly, but I think it was it must have been either late 92 or early 93, because they what he wanted to do was to he'd seen the pictures I'd done or you know created it and put for the magazine and he want they wanted to license some of those initially for the um principally made flesh that was basically the you know the cover shot basically mm -hmm. and that because that picture i'd shot for a you know for an article on vampire films basically mm -hmm. gotcha you know, yeah was, well chris has shot it but i mean i you know i'd conceived you know the, the picture for for and um, commissioned it you know for for an article on vampire films so that's basically how mm -hmm. it came about you know yeah. So so your introduction to Chris and your work with Chris preceded the work with Cradle of Filth, obviously. Yeah, well, Chris, I'd worked, just to go back to my magazine uh, period, I mean, I, I was at art school in the, during the punk period and did a fanzine and then moved to London, you know, like lots of people do, to, to seek my fortune, if you like, and magazines is what I wanted to do. So I, I worked um, very briefly for Cosmopolitan and I worked for, uh, but I ended up primarily with a, um, a Dutch company called VNU, who are quite a big business magazine publishing, but they, um, but they were very nice to me. I have to, I have to say, and uh, one of the, they had a lot of computer mags, and Chris was one of the people they used. As, you know, was one of the, was a sort of photographer that did a lot of work for for VNU basically, and uh, so, and Chris was a studio photographer basically. That was thing, but I, the, but. That was why. So he was one of several photographers that we that I worked with there, but I particularly liked Chris. And so, um, and I was looking for although I could do, I I had my own sort of section at VNU, and I was they were very good to me, so I could do you know a lot of things. Obviously, it was primarily about computers or business publications. So although I could be creative within that area, it wasn't you know I couldn't really go you know wild because of the such a matter. So I was looking around for. A vehicle for my imagery because that's what that's basically what I did anyway. I was I, I, when I was a, um, at art school, I created. I was always creating weird images. You know, that's what I like doing. I particularly with, with women, and um, uh, and I also did punk fanzine, and I had my um, girlfriend at the time on the on the cover and all the stuff mm -hmm. like that. You know, so I was like that's why, and I like to play around with things. So when I was in London, I was trying to find a vehicle where I could basically show people what I did. You know, and. Uh, there was, um, you know, there'd been the the punk scene had been going on when I was at art school. And because when I got to London, it was into the, it was 79, 80. The punk scene was kind of, well, the core scene was moving out and it was evolving. It evolved into the um, new romantic sort of thing, you know, with bands like Culture Club and Spandau Ballet and things like that. But I, mm -hmm. I was lucky enough through um, meeting a girl at um, uh, Blitz Club that, um, uh, she she was a girl that designed all the uh, Sue Clouds basically a girl who designed all the clothes for Culture Club, and I so I did another magazine there and I started creating images for that called Homage and I, I published that and then um, and then that, that got me a job at VNU, but I was looking for something else and um, the, um, the this new club started up I mean really underground stuff I'm talking about not like a big club but a tiny you know fetish club called Into. And there was one called Maitress, and I they basically had a magazine, which was of people, you know, called Skin Two, which is basically for people into rubber and leather and fetish, you know, that sort of lifestyle. Mm. So I, I 
looked, I mean, it's just really, I'm talking something really underground. You can only buy it at the club or, you know, within the scene. It wasn't like a, a mainstream magazine. But nonetheless, I, I saw it and contacted them and said, look, I'd like to redesign it, you know, basically. And, um, and I was doing pretty well by then and had, you know, so I, I didn't want any money for doing it. I just wanted an, I just wanted an opportunity to basically do something that I could create and show what I could do. So I did. And, um, you know, I created their logo and all the typography and stuff, but also I wanted, you know, I needed to do, I wanted the, the imagery. And by that time I, cause I'm an art director essentially. So I'll come up with the idea and, you know, and then, and I really liked Chris's black and white. Cause he'll say he would shoot stuff, you know, portraits of business people. And there were several photographies, but I particularly like Chris. And the other thing was he did a lot of studio work, you know, shooting, mm-hmm. you know, people or, or still lives basically in the studio, but it was very, you know, so it had a good studio. So basically I said to Chris, look, I've got to do these, I want to do some stuff with skin too. Um, so it's obviously completely out of his normal area, you know, but I basically, so I basically, I did, um, I, you know, I, I come up with an idea for the first cover I did for skin too, which was basically a, a girl with two, two latex hands, you know, like this, mm. like a prayer thing. But of course that was with Chris, cause he was a good studio photographer. I could sort of say, look, this is what I wanted. And he'd, you know, it'd be beautifully lit and I'd get a really good, you know, strong image. And that worked for me and then we did then we did a, a shot that became very famous for skin too which was a uh a girl sort of leg with a stiletto heel you know it was like you know and it had a really mm. strong image and again for me this was about this i'm this is what 84 i guess 84 85 so i basically did a lot of work with chris on on the skin too because i'd pay for these shoots you know but it was basically you know i'd come up with the ideas but i could work with chris because I knew that the technical stuff would all be done. It would be nicely lit. I'd get a really good, strong image. And there's a difference later. You know, when you, I, I went out with a uh, girlfriend, I uh, had a good relationship with her, um, quite a lot of art photographers. And there was a good girl I, um, I'd met who did a lot of work with Daniel Dax, who I worked, ended up work, doing some work with as well. She was with a band called the Lemon Kittens and became Daniel Jackson, you know, in her own right. But a girl called Holly Warburton, photographer, used to do, did all her covers and she used to photograph, um, go to the morgue, actually, photographs like, like um, uh, skin textures and stuff. But Holly was like, like very much an art photographer and there were some other ones as well like that. But with a, with a very, very strong sort of, and I'll say this in a, Get this. I need to do this anyway, disrespectfully at all. But if you have somebody who's a photographer who has a particular vision and they have a style that's, you know, that they're doing, you know, they're using their photography to, if you like, to create a sort of art, art image. And if you're coming along like me saying, I want this, it's difficult to control because they have their, sure. they're, they're bringing something more, you know, so it became quite tricky. So working with Chris was much, uh, was much cleaner and purer for me because I could, conceive exactly what I wanted and put and put the shoot together. You know, I put the models, put the setting, you know, sketch it all out, work out exactly what I wanted. And then Chris would bring his technical skills and everything to make sure, you know, it, it would be absolutely what I wanted, you know. So it became and that worked for me. I was that worked for me as a creatively. And I obviously it was it was Chris, I think for Chris it was I was obviously it was different from the normal stuff he did, you know, so I could turn up with a, a couple of, you know, some good looking girls and we do a good shoot. But I knew I'd always the bottom line was I'd get a good picture you know, from that shoot. So basically we did all the work with Skin 2. And then I also got, I, I moved up in the in in the work I was doing to um, a much, a new publisher called Redwood. And they 
were funded by um, Acorn Computers at the time, and they had a uh, house magazine that they they basically brought me in to redesign called a- a- Acorn User. And I had a again, I had a quite a free hand there, so I did more work with Chris then on on, on more more, I guess, in his area, and of course other photographers <laughs> as well. But carried on my relationship with them. And then I went to work. Then I um, I moved to Paris, so it um, uh, essentially didn't stop. But I was doing work out there, and I started. I was using some other photographers and stuff. But I remember, and I can't remember exactly what. Then I started making some films and uh, various things, and that kind of carried on. I think until um, uh, the early nineties, and I I also worked for a, um, a publisher called Macmillan's, and did work for them. I don't. Th- think I did as much work with Chris during that period. So basically nothing really happened. Uh, I was using other photographers and other things were going on until I did I did The Redeemer, basically, which is my magazine, mm-hmm. uh, which I did actually. Uh, I'll, send, I'll send you pictures. This, that was, this was the first issue of The Redeemer that I did, basically. Oh, lovely, yeah. That I published myself. And obviously we created, I, I mean, I'd worked, uh, that's Eileen's girlfriend at the time, but obviously with without her eyes in. Um, <laughs> but we created that, you know, the logo, which I did. And we did, I mean, I had, because I, I was I was financing all this, so I didn't, I really didn't have, you know, these, this was the shoot that everybody knows, you know, this one and um, this picture here, you know, which became the thing. I'll send you pictures of these, obviously, but yeah. that 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 shoot, I remember, I, I, I always remember that day, not, not because of particularly that shoot, but there was... Um, we had to do it on a Sunday morning, and I lived in Soho at the time with Eileen, and um, we had a one of the models that we'd booked. We, I think Chris was quite busy, and we, we only he, so we had to do it on a Sunday, which was very unusual. We normally do it a, not work on a weekday, so we, we arranged it on a Sunday morning, and the we booked two. I booked two models, um, and one rang up. You know, probably she got 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 wasted the night before and said she couldn't. You know, she said she was ill. You know, so yeah, we had sure. to grab a neighbour literally a girl that we knew from across the road and somebody had to um, look after her kid for her while she came, you know, kindly came to our rescue. And then we had, um, uh, and Eileen came, you know, came, came as well to do some modeling. And um, the, we were doing this and and I'd never used um, blood in a shoot before. In fact, I don't think anybody, just something that just wasn't done. And I wanted these girls, and we, again, we because we had no budget, and we were shooting in black and white, um, and we used coffee basically, which is what the thing. But oh, one right. of the girls in the shoot, um, I remember basically because we were shorter girls, basically with models, and she was um, uh, this girl here. This 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 girl is called Michelle, and okay. um, this one here was actually a, I think she was a student who had. Who was helping Chris out that day, like as a photographer's assistant, you know? Mm. And she very kindly said she'd step in, you know. So she wasn't even a, you know, she was just a photographer's assistant, you know, who luckily was very un, you know, uninhibited and uh, mm. got a got a got a clothes off and basically allowed us to pour coffee over her. So that's that's essentially how that shoot came about. And as I say, so that was um and it was as I say, it was for the the magazine and what cradle what happened was that Danny was, I'm assuming Danny saw obviously obviously saw the magazine and I started Redemption in um ninety-three uh, and um I was shooting all the covers, you know, for the video covers. And Chris, I was doing those with Chris and I had so we had yeah. that very distinctive black and white look, you know, which I liked. And uh and because 
and Redemption had actually started doing very well very quickly. So I was shooting not just the covers for or doing shoots, not just for the the video covers as they then were, but also for the next issue of the Redeemer because we. Um, we also did a calendar, you know, I got a bit carried away actually. So we did <laughs> shooting a lot. And um, basically when Danny came to see us, I mean, you have to bear in mind, I, I had very little money then. It was really difficult for me. So um, when Danny came along, so we, and he didn't have any money. I mean, the cradle didn't ex- exist as it, well, they did exist, but they, they were tiny, you know, in those, yeah. those early days. So it, it, it was very small money, that I got for the pictures, but it was a help to me, you know, hundred quid here, hundred quid there was, you know, when you, when you, when you haven't got much money, that's, that's, you know, it's an, it's a little bit extra money, you know? So that, that was essentially how it all came about. I mean, Danny would come through and basically sell for me, use that one and that one. Initially it was just for the, 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 um, just, just principle, principle of evil, made evil yeah. and then he started asking if they could license some for t-shirts. And again, these were, I was letting them go for, really you know uh, nothing you know we're not not mm. nothing but very small amounts of money and that's how it sort of basically started so there wasn't a um there wasn't a big relationship in the sense of uh, um a working thing because he was essentially asking if they could license existing pictures that i'd either shot for the magazine or we'd done for a you know a leftover for one of the shoots we'd done mm. for one of the covers or something else, you know, because I was shooting a lot of stuff. I was quite busy uh, and I had quite a good team around me. You know, I'd create, you know, the, so I had a particular stylist um, that I was working with. Who, and again, who's really good at making clothes, you know, I'd come up with something and he'd do that. And I had, so basically I had a good team of people, you know, and um, mm. it, it worked well. So we just, we were just creating uh, good stuff. And it, it, it was only, I mean, it, it grew later. Um, I, I mean, I thought about this because I knew I'd be speaking to you. I mean, I'm trying to think the 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 only I think there are about two or three pictures that I shot specifically for Cradle that Danny had asked me to do. There was one of a girl, which again I will send you a picture of it, but you'll probably know it. There was a shot because they did a they did a funny EP. I forgot what it's called a vampire, is it? An yeah, EP vampire. that was um, yeah. to get out of their contract with uh, cacophonous or something. They had spot on. Yep, you know it. Yep. Yeah. So that that I'd done some shoots. Um, which I think which I'd shot around for my calendar, I think, but there were a few that Danny wanted. One was um, a particular one he did he did ask me to do, and I'd come up with some sketches, which I've still got, actually, which I'll send to you, um, of a girl looking in the mirror with a sort of vampire, like a witch girl, vampire, or okay. gothic girl, if you like. In a very, very gothic mirror with all cobwebs and things. Mm-hmm. That one I shot specifically for Cradle. Um I think the shot that's on the cover of Vampire with a sort of girl with the, the wings, which is actually just some plot. Beautiful yeah, shot. Really, yeah. Yeah. Stunning. I, I, don't know, I don't know if we did it for the calendar or what. I don't think, I, I'm not sure. I don't think it was, we did it specifically for for the um, Vampire, but the, the, the certainly the shot with the um, the mirror was. Um, and then I, th- I think also that at that stage, by that time, Cradle were beginning to get involved with um, a t shirt manufacturer called Razmataz. And, and Vampirotica, are you talk, are you going talking about the Vampirotica label that they then set up, or is this another? Yeah, I, I'd forgotten that actually, because that, that was a big event they had at um, uh, in London. They had I didn't go to, I only went to it. I remember that. <laughs> I can't remember because it was because also during this period, Redemption was taking off. I mean, we'd gone, I'd gone from um, 
I was still working, basically. I was still working for VNU. I mean, I was running Redemption. I mean, VNU were very good to me, I have to say, but they were allowing me to run Redemption in my lunch hour, basically. So I was designing this and, you know, all the using their computers and stuff to do in my lunchtime to do the covers for Redemption and and um, the magazine. So, I mean, I was literally, uh, so I'd be getting up early, doing some work on Redemption or whatever, going in, because VNU were based in Soho as well, which is where I live, so I could basically do some work there, go down to VNU, um, do, do some work at lunchtime, work it and then when when I finished there I could work because there's always you know it's a big editorial office so the people there were quite late you know so I could work work on the computer sort of eight or nine and then I'd come home you know so it was um uh it, 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 it there was I say money was very tight but it gave me you know I was obviously earning money so I, but I was using all the money to sort of run redemption you know run redemption or try and get redemption going I didn't stop working at VNG I think till 94 because when redemption was started to you know earn enough that i could it would support me you know i could buy my own computer basically to have it mm-hmm. at home and i think because basically i remember eileen and i lived in a it was a nice flat but it was a top floor flat a smallish flat in um in soho and so danny and the the rest of the band were sort of we were on the top floor so they'd trape all the way up the stairs you know and i, I had this little <laughs> office that all you know come come round in there, so not all dressed up, obviously, but in there, you know, round, and I'll even make them a cup of tea, you know, and they would um, <laughs> sit around and go through all the pictures and decide, you know, what it was they they wanted. But it it, it started to change. Um, I think, well, several things started to happen. I think probably they got, they were getting bigger, and they got, um, they signed with, is it some um, music, music for nations? nations? Yep. Yeah, yeah. They were getting bigger. They were obviously doing quite well on their T-shirts and stuff. And we were getting bigger as, a, you know, Redemption was just starting to do quite well. And so there was just a lot going on. And I think, um, I don't remember what, what really changed it. We, we had, or I, I got involved with somebody, you know, I think with the best of intentions, um, suggested bringing this girl that he was that he was seeing, uh, but it also it worked in film anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Helped me sort of run things. Now, unfortunately, she had a how can I put this a very abrasive attitude with people, and sometimes mm-hmm. it would work; it would generate you know stuff, and other times it would completely fuck things up. And unfortunately, um, with Cradle, that's what she did. But there was a before, just before that happened, there was a good period because Cradle signed music for nations and they wanted to do um dusk and her embrace mm-hmm. and for the first so for the first time there was a decent budget there you know there was a budget that i could actually get my teeth into danny um to be fair to you know, danny he, he always had a, a specific vision with particularly as the band were growing you know he had a he knew what he wanted um but it was all, you know, he'd commissioned or they'd, they'd licensed permission to use these shots of castles and sort of things like that, which I could, you know, comp in with the thing. But they gave me um, uh, a sort of rough idea of what they wanted, which was this, you know, sort of girl with the forest and stuff. But hmm. I, enough that I had freedom to sort of, you know, I wanted the sort of growing out of the forest, if you like. And uh, I spoke to, uh, to a guy called Spencer Horn, who was my stylist. It did all, it was, you know, worked for me continually for all this period. So we basically, we, you know, we, I had the money to get a good model. We had the money to get a, um, you know, a good, really good makeup artist uh, set. I used, I didn't work with Chris on this one. I worked with a guy called Salvatore, who was more uh, fashion orientated in a yeah. sense, because it was, it was, 
um, well, the, the, it was basically um, how should I put this? It was just it just seemed you know with the with the, all the girls and stuff. It was because that wasn't Chris, Chris's area. To be fair, Chris, Chris was fine, but it was with this one. It felt that we needed you know we. Um, I just wanted to try out, you know, different things. And with the fashion photography, you have more flair with the with girls, and there's more movement. And uh, hey, do you remember was, Sal- Salvatore's surname at all? Because he's only listed as Salvatore on on Wikipedia. That's yeah. That's basically. I've got. I'll I'll look that up for you because um, it was through Salvatore that I'd done. I just why did I start working with Salvatore? I can't remember how how we came about, how I came to work with Salvatore, because he was based in Clapham, his studio was in Clapham. Uh, not that that makes any difference to it, but I try, I can never quite remember how how I started working with him, whether I got it, because it, the, there was a lot going on in my life at this period, because you know, I've been in France, I'd done, um, mm. uh, we're talking, this is before I met Eileen, so we're talking, hang on, let's get my brain around all this, as to where I, no, I was with Eileen then, sorry. Uh, to, this is 90, <laughs> Five ninety six. Um, so I can't. I'm, I'm sorry. I was just trying to wrap my brain as to how I how I actually met Salvatore. But, but basically, I know that I'd done some. Sh- I'd shot because we I created. Um, we had the redemption film label. Then I had Jezebel, um, and each uh, label, I, I kind of had a. Um, a, a girl to represent Eileen represented redemption, which is the sort of you know, the white eyed sort of redemption logo. Then I had Jezebel, which is maybe sort of kitschy, I guess, sex films from the sixties and seventies. And we had a sort of fallen, fallen uh, nun sort of thing, which is the image for um, Jezebel. Then I created Purgatory, which was basically adult material, strong adult material. And we created the Purgatory Girl, which had this big rubber uh, rubber hair and everything. It was very fetishistic, but I can't. And, um, Salvatore did the shoot for that, and that one of the models that he booked for the shoot we discussed, but he um, recommended her was an Australian girl called Rochelle, who was I mean, stunning. I thought beautiful girl, but also incredibly um, easygoing, very uninhibited, fantastic figure. And I, I just thought she was fantastic. And I remember we did the we did the the shoot for um, Purgatory. And I was just really impressed with her. And then the Music for Nations things came up, and we had the, we booked this model for the cover. I can't remember her name, but it'll be in the credits somewhere. But mm-hmm. she was a you know a fashion model basically. And then we had to have a shoot for Inside, which was like the Last Supper thing. Yes, and uh, with the band, and there was a full Amazing band. Shot, that one, fantastic. Six and Rochelle, as I say, she was just really good natured, friendly. Um, and fabulous basically and so because i think i've got to think we must have shot it over, i was thinking about this, i can't remember exactly but we, we must have shot it over a couple of days we wouldn't have been able to shoot it all in one day um and uh so we'd have, that it was, it was rochelle she's the girl in the you know the pope pope gear and everything um and uh yeah so we basically did we we, we had to you know we shot shot all of that um on a separate day you know the the, the supper and that was that was with, with uh, Rochelle and that was also celebratory so the, the um and that was the like the the big the big shoot which was fun to do and um it worked you know obviously I was very pleased with the 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 album and everything I thought it looked really good and um 
this girl that had been brought in, I think girl, this woman, uh, brought into my company, um, obviously with my degree, she wasn't forced on me, but as I say, there was a, there were a few issues which I won't go into, but they were there were some problems with her. But one of them was this, as I say, very abrasive attitude. And I can't remember exactly um, how it came about because Danny and I had started talking about, and I get this slightly wrong, um, it's like, I don't know if it was an album they did or a track, Dead Girls Don't, Dead Girls Something yeah. or other. Yeah, um, it was certainly a, a, an icon. It was iconography underneath uh, an image on a T-shirt. Yeah. Well, basically, I think, he, yeah, he, he'd asked me to do that. I, I wasn't, I remember, I've still got it, um, Danny's sketches and, and notes for this one. Um, I remember I didn't, I mean, because although I, I work in horror and I'll do all the stuff with all the blood and everything else with the girls and things, I don't like I don't like sort of violence against women in that sense. I don't mind, you know, the sort of... Uh, either I remember I wasn't completely comfortable with that one, but nonetheless, that was the, the, the one of the shots that was being talked about. Because I'd also done... Sorry, I'm, I'm as I'm talking, things are... It's quite a long time ago, actually. Um, one of the other shots I'd done for them during this during this period was the that Danny wanted a masturbating nun, which is I, I do I, I do a the lot iconic of iconic vestal masturbation imagery. Yeah, yeah. Very easy one for me, that one. So I remember um booking the girl and it was it was an easy shot to do basically. It was just a good, you know, um like she's masturbating because it became that t-shirt, you know, the um Jesus yeah. Gun t-shirt, which uh, mm-hmm. which I should also talk about in a minute because that had other <laughs> other ramifications for me. But uh, oh, I remember, really? yeah so we were doing Quite a lot. We were beginning to do more commissions. I was beginning to do more, you know, more commissions because Danny was, you know, wanted to do this. And the, the I think the t-shirts were doing pretty well for them. You know, they were making money on those. And um, and Razzmatazz were beginning to finance them. And I think, and I, I have regrets about this because it was, because it was something that I wasn't directly involved in. Um, but I remember the lady at the office sort of said, oh, you're not earning enough money out of this. You need to earn more money. And so she basically had the meeting with, which I wasn't at, with Danny and um, the chap from Razzmatazz. And um, whatever it, whatever she said, she was obviously, so I know what she's like. She's very, she tends to be very rude to people. So I think she upset them because she was very rude to them. Yeah. And second, she probably asked for some ridiculous amount of money, which was going to, you know, because her way of doing it would ask ask for a ridiculous amount, and then you you know level it down a bit, and um, whatever happened, it 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 messed up basically, and then um, which was a shame because it just fucked it all up, and then after that, uh, um, I think well, no, I don't think I know. I think Danny then tried to basically recreate what I had by trying to contact all the people in mean, my team, if you like, and Chris. And it didn't work out. Basically, I think they did one shoot. I know, I know, it just, it just didn't work that well. You know, they, um, Spencer, my stylist, wouldn't wouldn't do it because he, he he didn't think it was right, so he wouldn't do it. And I think, and I just don't think the shoot happened. Basically, it didn't work. You know, and I think it was a it was a shame. So I've always had regrets about that. And I think also at that time, um, Cradle started being managed by a lady called Faith, who's who was I think Danny's equivalent to my side yeah. you know so yeah. uh, she she became you know i think any chances of reconciliation kind of got messed up with that so i don't think it was so it wasn't really a case with me that i fell out with danny or or things directly but somebody there was a it was basically 
and with hindsight it shouldn't have it did i could have should have stepped in you know but it was one of those there was so much going on at that time that cradle would, weren't weren't a major they weren't the main part of all the stuff that was going on in my life if you know what i mean they were mm. they were an interesting part but they weren't the the main bit because there was so much else going on with redemption and and other issues and you know all the stuff and of course the other the other thing i was going to mention about the t-shirt was that i also because i'd made a film which uh in 89 well i made two films but i made one called axel which was uh, a short film erotic sort of film with um soundtrack by daniel dax which i'd released on uh, video and it done it done quite well actually and got my money back and then i used the the fact that i got my money back on that to raise some more money to make a bigger film which i which i did uh, uh, and i based it around um the um uh, Catholic saint or uh, Saint Teresa of Avila, which is a famous statue by Benini in Rome, and uh, the ecstasy of Saint Teresa. So I basically made, made it that. And Steve Severin from Susan the Banshees, uh, who I knew, was agreed to do the soundtrack. So it was all it was all fine. Unfortunately, that got uh, the BBFC British Board of Film Classification in the UK decided it was blasphemous and it was a big, uh, big. Uh, so it became quite a big case in the uk and i was charged with um amongst various things of outraging the divinity of christ which i was rather being rather proud of um but nonetheless the 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 unfortunate thing was it did actually get banned and when a film's banned in england it really is banned i mean you can't sell it or do anything with it it becomes completely banned so all my friends were so oh, wonderful you make a load of money and of course the the opposite is true when it gets banned it, it really you can't make any money because you can't sell the damn thing and um but it then became a bigger case because my um, uh, Salman Rushdie's book, The Satanic Verses, was banned the same year and or around the same time. And so Madonna's uh, Like a Prayer video was also going on at the same time. And uh, my film, for some reason, I think uh, a lot of civil rights lawyers, including um, Jeffrey Robinson, who's another Australian, but very quite a famous lawyer over here, um, Basically, they took up my case because it gave them a chance to challenge the UK law of blasphemy. And so it became a big case against me, against the government. Um, and in those days, although the England was part of the, was a member of the European Union, we, we were, the European law hadn't been incorporated into English law. So when you had a case like mine, um, you had to basically take on the government and you had to, uh, basically exhaust UK law first, and then you could take it to the European Court of Human Rights, who could rule against the UK government. Mm -hmm. So, and they wanted to do that because it gave them an opportunity, if I'd won, to abolish the law of blasphemy or get it changed. So it became a very big case, and um, it's costing a lot of money as well. And I had, obviously, I, I couldn't afford the sort of levels of money that you're, you're talking about in a case when you're taking on the government. You know, it became a big case. Um, and the government were, were involving the Lord Chancellor and the Solicitor General, so it was a, it was a big thing. Um, so uh, the, the lawyers were doing it on a kind of pro bono basis because they wanted to, you know, challenge the law. Sure. And because it had to basically exhaust UK law, it, 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 it was very time consuming. And this was going on from eighty nine, right in the back. So all the background the time I was working Cradle. In the background, quietly, was this big case building up, and every now and then it would get in the papers when judgment. There were various stages during this period when judgments would be made. Uh, one of them was like you know the the, the European Court preferred um, uh, countries within you know with 
to to um, settle their own affairs rather than rule against a particular government, you know. Mm-hmm. So, on my case, the government said there were no grounds for a friendly settlement uh, in this case, which is, you know, basically that, that was it. And having exhausted UK law, we could then go to the European Court of Human Rights. So, basically, while this was all building up, if we finally got a hearing in Strasbourg, which is where the European Court of Human Rights is, um, I can't remember which month, but it was in 1996. And in the background, the government were trying to say that I was a, a sort of scurrilous, you know, pornographer, you know, an awful person, basically. Mm. Whereas the lawyer's case for me was that I was um, a filmmaker, you know, an artist, if you like. Um, and then they shouldn't ban my film, you know, because it was a, my, my creative uh, right to, to to make the film and all the rest of it. So basically you had the government trying to put me out. And, they, and of course, they... They um, uh, they describe redemption as you know as, as me putting out these awful films, mm-hmm. and um, anyway, they, they were, things were getting quite nasty basically. And then the hearing was set. It was a big hearing because we had like all the papers involved. The New York Times was coming over for covering it, and um, you know all the all the main all, all around the world, in fact, <laughs> and um, and an Australian one, which I'll mention in a minute. But basically, <laughs> it, was, it was a big case and a big hearing. And the the day of the hearing, the the government sent the, the Lord Chancellor and the Solicitor General was sent out with with a sort of team of nine other legal people. So it was a big, you know, big thing. Anyway, in the background of all of this, suddenly there were stories in the pa- in the papers about people being arrested for wearing this T-shirt which said "Jesus is a cunt" on it. And my lawyers went behind the scenes. My lawyers went absolutely bonkers because they said this is you you're involved in this aren't you they don't know why they thought because it was a nun basically on the front and i said well I t- you know i was involved with the picture and they said don't god's sake you know let this come out and they were really you know because it if the law if the government had made a connection between that t-shirt and me anything to do with because i had no idea about the jesus the can't think because i had daddy and asked me to shoot the the nun mm. the nun which i'll find but i didn't know anything about the what the words were going to be on the back of the t-shirt so it was complete you know i, I knew nothing but it for the government that, that would have been irrelevant you know they could have just said jesus the yeah. can't that's when we got the t-shirt. It would, the link would have been made and that was all that would have been, you know people would care so it would have destroyed our case and this would have been this was six and a half years of legal challenges uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds so um it, luckily it, 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 nothing happened you know we, but the the i can't tell you how because it all happened around literally the, the, those few days you know and there was a fear um that the government some some link would be made you know so i remember i remember that as well so that t-shirt's always st- st- stayed in my mind as you know what could have been a disaster you know from my point of view but it was um it wasn't so it was fine you know but there was a thing so the cradle yeah so the cradle stuff for me was um um it was a it was an interesting it could have i mean my regrets with cradle is that it could have been creatively which is what i basically what i, what I enjoy most you know that's my what makes, what makes me work you know is that the um i felt i hadn't i could have gone much further if you know i mean because obviously the, the whole satanic stuff it's really, uh, you know, I, later on, mm-hmm. I did another magazine, Royal Satania, which we, um, which was for the Church of Satan. And then I had a nightclub called Black Mass, which was sanctioned by the Church of Satan. The only, I think the only time they've ever done it ever, they, mm-hmm. which was sanctioned by the Church of Satan, you know, and then because we had the Satanic Sluts, which were all part of it. So yeah. 
that dark world, if you like, that sort of uh, creatively for me is very much, you know, where I am. Or And I felt, and I was, it was funny because I, the album that they did after Dusk and Her Embrace, which has got the girl in the bath of blood, which I thought was a very Cruelty good cover. Beast, yeah. I, yeah, I thought that was very good. But after that, Danny went down a different route and was illustrative, basically. And 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so just on that point, it's it's yeah, been a source I, of you've you've answered so many questions through your monologue up to that point because fans, we were sitting there effectively, we had this wonderful merch with your imagery and Chris's photography, and it just bang, gone. And it sucked. There's no other way to describe it ever since. It's a funny the, thing, I, yeah. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I was say, it's a funny thing because I would Obviously, I look at um, uh, bands and the whole the whole black, particularly the black metal scene and stuff, and it, it, it it's become very uniform. You know, if you're dealing with Satanism or you're dealing with mm. know, darker areas of sexuality or or, or or religion or anything like that, that it's become very uniform. A bit like they like to say the goth scene, you know, because you can take somebody, you know, it hasn't changed, you know, for thirty years now. It's just you know, people have the same look, you know, nothing changes. And it gets very, how should I put it? Um, it just becomes very uniform, and uh, you know, it, it has a look, and nothing, nothing changes. And it's, it's for me, what was interesting with that area is that you can, you can do, you can go off, you know, you can, you can look. Well, how can I make? I'm trying yeah. to say, how can I make it different? How can I explore? And also, in, in a sense, you have to, you, you can kind of not, not. Pre- Yes, you can. In a sense, you can almost provoke your own audiences because you know they have a you know they think it's all right to do with this, and they're going to get the you know the the the, the, the whole satanic stuff. And you can you know you can do things for sake of you can you can twist it and, and do things that people don't expect. You can use colours that people don't expect. You know what I mean? You think oh everything's going to be black and do this, but actually you can go off and you can start using you know bright colour. You can do things. That, that don't work. I mean, it's in, it's just interesting to me that you can, and I thought that there was a lot I, w- I could have explored with Cradle or another band, you know, in a sense, it doesn't have to be with Cradle, but um, where it, it, it's become a, kind of quite stagnant. I mean, I thought Marilyn Manson, there was a period when he was making some very interesting, you know, videos and stuff, and they're doing some quite, you know, some quite nice stuff a few years yeah. ago, and, and and is it Behemoth and stuff? Do things and, yeah. and I, I just think and every now and then a band comes on that, that that plays around, but I think you could there's, there's an awful lot that can go, you know, that you could that, that people could do in that area that they don't, you know. I think it's become uh, um, stagnant. Well, stagnant, yes, in some ways it has become a bit stagnant, you know. Yeah, um, they conform to so-called genre norms, but they're really boring to your point. And that was what your imagery did for Cradle. It actually made them stand out. I I don't believe for a moment that the band would have had the success that Danny's enjoyed to this date if it wasn't for your imagery. So, sure, the music's one thing, and that's what we know them for. But back in those days, in the mid-bloody 90s, do you remember what heavy metal was like back then? You know, Iron Maiden had gone yeah, yeah, out yeah, to no. pasture with, <laughs> with Blaze no, It was, was yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my background, my musical taste, you know, say apart from the, the punk thing, which I loved, but when I was younger, I mean, obviously there was Bowie and Alice Cooper, and then, but the other band I really liked, Pink Fairies and stuff, and Hawkwind I used to like, but I also liked Black Sabbath, and I really did like Black Sabbath, you know, and uh, I, I was lucky enough to see them when they were on tour, um, when they were promoting Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, 
Nice. But they, they, but I like you know their imagery, like their first, you know their first album, you know with the girl and the the graveyard and all that stuff. I mean, and, and of course I grew up with Hammer, you know, so a, a lot of that that sort of imagery was very important to me. But I, I, but what was interesting with the cradle stuff and with 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 things in here was was I, mean, I mentioned the blood stuff with um, with the girls and things, but I, I genuinely don't think that had been done before. I mean, it'd been done in obviously in horror films like vampires and and some of the hammer ones where girls obviously get blood on them but when we first did that i know because now it's there's there's umpteen pictures girls you know was always photographing themselves covered in black but when we, i know at the time we, i did that i don't think anybody had done it i mean I, i'm not saying that oh wow you know but it, it was because we and i didn't do it because oh let's cover these girls in blood and have them kissing and make it you know make it all eroticized it was just because i was doing a thing about vampires and it just seemed it kind of just worked you know but it wasn't it wasn't some master plan of mine i think it, which i think is in a sense why it all um kind of worked because it, i i didn't have some great scheme i'd also done this shoot with um in the same issue actually with uh chanel and i had a friend of mine who was a uh, she worked at the sunday times because i could I, I could somebody like me could not access the new a new Chanel collection clothes, and they just brought out this um, uh, clothes with um, these. See it, basically with these big boots that were quite fascistic looking. Mm. And we, I know you can see it there. I'll send you pictures of these. But basically, this was the same issue. And I basically started playing around with um, the blood stuff, but also violence and sort of things. So we had we had um, all this Chanel, and I decided to call call it uh, go go loco with coco you know and we we basically had we hired all these guns and there were two guys they had the head, like they had the longest hair i've ever seen i mean like down to the almost down to their knees but they their thing was into they were just into prosthetics and like they were just learning and starting out what did they work in film and, we, and they basically said look we're going to do these things with these guns and we want to have the like a you know splat like a blunt thing and i said to chris you know we're going to shoot this uh and they basically they said they've never done this before and they put this um like an explosive charge behind the back of this girl's head and we had to um we had to sort of shoot at the studio I remember chris and i said to chris because it, it was like a still still light but the girls are posing we had to go one two three and like shoot at that moment and it almost like blew the back of this poor girl's head off because all their hair sort of went and the blood went all over the it's obviously fake blood obviously not her own blood yeah. but it went all over the studio you know I mean, it was a big studio <laughs> like all the ceiling everywhere and um but what i'm trying to say is that the that issue because i was um it was meant to be like you know a magazine that was um mixing um horror and stuff but i was also my interest i suppose visually was like creating quite fashion type imagery so I was mixing, I suppose, erotic fashion images or trying to with the violence that I thought that horror fans would like. So that's a scent. And when and the, the regime of that first issue got reviewed by The Guardian, of all things, and they called it a death vogue, which I thought I loved, you know. <laughs> but it was so essentially that was where I was coming from. It was it wasn't it was all so all of this was organic, if you know what I mean. And then, of course, I started Redemption. So we would uh, I was doing the same thing then. And we had uh, and of course. I was un, I was beginning to immerse myself in that whole exploitation film genre, and there was things like you know Nazi exploitation. So again, we hired you know the, an SS gear. I mean, because we, I thought well, we'll just make them vampires as well, chucked all the blood on, because mm. they only used some of those, and they took the they took the uh, Nazi death's head yeah. off the hat. But essentially, it was a still thing. I remember they, that. Yeah. They, 
they use some of those. So all of these shoots were just basically me mucking around and and immersing, I suppose, that um uh, you know the, the sort of what I thought or what I felt the exploitation cinema was with the, the things I loved, you know, which was basically sex, sexy girls and sort of fashiony images, you know, and uh and then and of course Danny was there at that time, you know, with with because I was doing shoots with Chris during that period. I mean, several several times a month, basically. You know, we're shooting cover covers for the DVDs. We're shooting, sorry, the videos that they then were for the magazine uh, promotional stuff. Yeah, any because redemption, I say, redemption was growing quite fast then, so mm. we were shooting a lot of stuff. And of course, from Danny's point of view, it's, uh, as I say, you just come around. And say, oh, I like that one. Can I use that one? Can I use that one? So that was, as I say, so it, if it hadn't stopped when it did stop, it would have been interesting because although, as I say, Danny often had. And whether it would have stayed like that, where I was just free, basically because he was just selecting pictures I was shooting for other reasons, but whether it would have stayed like that when he was saying to me, oh, I want this, is, I want this, this, and this, without any... Because I, for me, I, I'm much better if somebody says, I'd like something along these lines. I, I know, as you say, a, a girl doing th- this, and I'd say, okay, fine. And I'd go off and then mm-hmm. work out something and I'll come back with a load of drawings and say, this is what I'd like to do, you know, and then if they say, oh yes, that's fine. And then I just basically agree a budget and we'll put it together, you know, and it would happen. So whether I would have, if, if, whereas if Danny had got too controlling, you know, I want this and it has to be exactly that, then, then of course it would, in a sense, he must have just direct the shoot himself. So uh, I don't know, but I don't know why he changed for the illustrators, though, because because uh, a lot of other bands do that, you know. And secondly, it doesn't. It, I, to my mind, it, it 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 loses some some of that uniqueness in a sense, you know, because a photograph is kind of more real. It has a sort of uh, yeah. punch, you know. It's a, it, it's, well, it's, it's authentic. Yeah, it was authentic and it was real and it was in the moment. Nobody had ever done it before. Nobody had married the two, particularly in that era, like you've already mentioned. It was very much about uh, upside down pentagrams and even swords and shit, even back then. You know, a lot of the Norwegian well, you could all the, carrying the, on. The stuff coming out of Norway, the Norway yeah. and everything. Because yeah. that was quite, I mean, 92, because uh, Cradle, what, 92, 93, they started, I guess, the first. They were uh, around. That's when they that sort of emerged. Uh, yeah. Berzum and all the other, and Emperor and uh, Mayhem and stuff were all doing all their thing over in. Mm. So Cradle were pretty. To be fair to them, they were they were probably one of the first UK black metal bands, I guess. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And mm. they didn't try to be Norwegian or Swedish either. That was important because that that had been even by then. I remember back then there was a lot of bands emerging through the underground. You had your leading lights, the ones that you'd mentioned, and mm. Satyricon. And uh, you, you couldn't go down to, you know, you couldn't, there was no, well, the internet was around back then, but it wasn't nowhere mm. near what it is now. But yes. uh, the magazines and fanzines that were around back then, they were the same black and white imagery, imagery with blokes walking around the course, playing forests and stuff like that. And yes. just about every band was doing the same. It was a trope, effectively. Then yeah. you came along with Cradle. Yeah. And yeah. so you had the music, but you had this enormous universe of imagery there used to be a shop in Sydney called Utopia and it used to sell the T-shirts and you'd go in there and they had an entire rack, you know, which was really unheard of back then. I wish I got myself a royalty on that. Anyway. But, although, but at the yeah. same time, I mean, a lot of people say that to me. Uh, Gavin um, Gavin Badley, who wrote um, uh, a couple of the books and stuff, you know, he said that you, you're, uh, that my images allow, allowed a period of time for Cradle to evolve musically, you know, to catch up with the, 
with the very true the, you know the images and stuff which i was i've always remembered and um yeah because gavin wrote the the book on the cradle gospel of filth you know the the, the yeah i haven't read it yet yeah is it give, can you give me a bit of a, the- a thesis but a summary on that one there is that is that a book that chronicles the band's early years or is it something else well i think i mean I, i've got i've got copies of it all because because i had to give permission you know to for all the pictures to be used which I, which i did you know um didn't bother me i think essentially what i think that um gavin was commissioned by cradled essentially to sort of a mixture of ghost writing um danny's the, the thoughts of chairman danny if uh, you like yeah. you know sort of yeah. essentially i think danny was able to say well i mean you know was able to sort of go through all the all the sort of sources that one can, you know, you're influenced by, you know, either Baudelaire or or Swinburne or or in all the sort of tropes of the sort of Satanism and dark culture, if you like. And then mm-hmm. Gavin put all that, put all that, you know, into into sort of intellectual speak, you know, and 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 it, and it was well illustrated. So it's essential, yes, it's a it's a kind of catechism, if you like, of of Cradle's Danny's thoughts. I mean, um, or, or at least sort of supervised by Gavin Badley, really, you know. So oh, yeah. I've never read it, but I, I flick through it. I flick through it a bit when it when it first came out, you know. But it's just another I suppose it's another part of Danny's you know, just a laying claim to various aspects. <laughs> of the, of laying the, claim is a really good way to put it, I think. Yeah. I mean um, yeah. but that look that's the issue. And I, look I've spoken to so many of the former band uh, members and uh they all have their own take, but uh, they all follow a can I call it a narrative? They all follow a similar narrative yes. strain if you like, which is that Danny certainly sits at the head of the table. Uh, the musicians write all of the music. So Dan, Danny's not a writer, so he does some of the lyrics and might uh, influence the way some of the melodies evolve, but he certainly doesn't write any of the music. And uh, the, the music, musicians in the group have just been expendable, really, and uh, a few of them have what I'd call a legitimate axe to grind. Uh, but I suppose, I suppose to his to his um, credit, but to, to his from his point of view, I mean, he has, I suppose he's kept the, the cradle dream or vision, you know, alive for what thirty years now, something like that. It's a, which is quite a long time for a band. It's an amazing you know, period, least, yeah. Uh, yeah, for, for a, I mean, I, I say I'm not really. In, um, I don't really. Obviously, it's a long time ago. The stuff when the stuff that I was doing. Although, just you mentioned corpse paint stuff. I did um, more recently because I started. I was um, commissioned by a magazine. It doesn't exist anymore. But there was a magazine which you may may know called Bizarre. That was published over here for quite a long time. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, usually I either had really gory stories about people that saw their head off, or um, you know, whatever, but or fetish stuff in there. But it was anyway. They get. I have my own section in there um, uh, for a what for about a year, and I could essentially do what I liked. And I got sponsorship because Bazaar had no money to commission. But I started working with Chris again during that period, and um, what I would what I was basically given was a sort of four, four to six pages, depending uh, where I could choose a theme and I'd write about it and then, but also illustrate it and I'd illustrate it with photography. And um, one of the um, first ones I did uh, was actually writing about black metal. Um, but the main reason that was I, um, which I was quite pleased with, I, I again, I mentioned this thing of trying to, play around with that imagery and i got a couple of um fashion models and got the makeup artist to give them you know authentic corpse paint and everything and um 
it's un- it was very unfortunate because one of the girls was uh, I think she was I think she was Danish actually or Swedish so she's very familiar I mean, she wasn't that wasn't her thing at all but she was only familiar with what black metal was mm-hmm. but she looked beautiful you know interesting and we had that we had we had we hired I did hire, hire a big sword sword for the shoot and everything else but it was unfortunate because it was during London Fashion Week and she got a booking uh obviously for much more money than I was paying her so she could only she she basically started the shoot about half nine 10 and of course the makeup takes at least an hour or so um and she had to i think she had to leave at one so it was a real shame because we both girls were made up and it was the first shoot i'd done with chris for many years so he was a bit how should i put it tight i think is a, you know, a, bit, a bit tense it was better, mm-hmm. sorry, better than tight a bit tense so because we just started but that first hour or thereabouts the girls just started to loosen up and I got, which I'll send to you. I mean, I was really pleased with them, actually. They just started playing around, you know, sticking, you know, like um, sticking their tongues out and stuff. And I was just beginning to get something, something was going on, if you know what I mean, which mm-hmm. I felt was something new. And because we were shooting against white, not that that's particularly unique, but it was, it was, it was just worked. And there was something, there was something happening, beginning to happen. I thought it was very unfortunate because the, um, this other girl had to leave, so I still carried on with the one girl, and we obviously got some nice shots. But it was better when there was a two. There was something. There was a bit of chemistry going on there, and I've I've kind of felt again. I might go back to that, not with those two models, but something again. Because uh, I still work, you know, I still do shoots and you know mm-hmm. things now. Um, that I might go back revisit that because I did I did start to feel you know as I say there's there's. There's, there's there's a way to go you know there's still stuff that can be done it just it the nice thing with it when you have a band is you get a if they've got a budget you know because these shoots are quite expensive you know by the time you pay models makeup stylists studio you know props uh sort of post-production work and everything else you know, the cost mounts up so you can you can gobble up a few thousands you know quite quite quickly but nonetheless i i i do think there's there's um the scope there so maybe you know uh, you know, down the line, I'll still be able to come up with something that's, that's um, uh, interesting to look at, you know, or has an impact like those ones did. Because I still like to produce something that, that, but I wouldn't want to. What I would, I would be trying to avoid would be just trying to recreate something that that, that was relevant then. For now, if you know what I mean, I, I would, I'd have to go off and try and do something that that you wouldn't be expecting. For instance, you know what I mean. It wouldn't be if somebody said, yeah, "Oh, it's, gonna, gonna do it's this. interesting." I agree with something you said early on. It's it, you've, you was a mystery to to it was it was such a mystery, and you've solved that riddle, which is that why on earth did these beautiful images in conjunction with it on the band's merchandise? Why did it just cease? Why did it just stop? And I, I do I agree with something you said much earlier, which is that you had so much more mileage in you, and there was so much more that the partnership, so much more fruit from the partnership that could have been a yield from it, if you yeah, like. I, and, I think also, I know, and I don't know this. I mean, probably Danny's the only one who can answer this, or maybe the guy at Rasmus has his name. I've forgotten now, but the the hmm. some. It, I don't know if they if they stopped or what the 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 the. The reason was, I mean, there was a lot of, as I say, Faye, Faye was, Faith or whatever she's called, was also quite um, difficult person. So I, I don't know if, you know, I think there was yeah, obviously something. that picture. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, something, yeah. Something, something around 96, 97, you know, obviously 
uh, messed up, you know, or, or changed, you know, which is quite, that's what, 97, 20 years ago or so, isn't it? Over 23. It's quite a long time oh, back, you know. Almost 30 years ago, 25 Lifetime, years ago. But yeah, it's, it is. I mean, it's, we were, I was, you know, nineteen twenty back in those days. And, uh, but the thing, the thing that I understand about Faye, yeah, she's a, she's a shrewd businesswoman, no question about that. But, uh, but she's no when, longer in the picture. She's out, isn't she now? She certainly won't respond to my emails and my messages, so I think so. And uh, look, unfortunately, her uh, husband passed away last year. Kid. Okay. Yeah. So he he's the one who produced Dust and her embra- Dust and her embrace. He was the, you know the Thin Lizzy producer. Ended oh, okay. up getting that getting that cracking sound that they managed to produce. Uh, it pull off Dust and her embrace with Stuart Ansis's uh, guitar playing, but I think that the the other thing the other factor is that. When Faye got involved, it was very noticeable that Danny became the focal point of the imagery. So the move away from these these beautiful women, things that we'd never seen before and, and really haven't seen since, really, to Danny being the focal point, and you've already mentioned him, a la Marilyn Manson. So there, Manson was big at the time, and it was and Rob Zombie. There was another one. There seemed to be this thing. Well, I suppose earlier, this, Alice Cooper, I suppose, in a sense, that, that where he becomes the front of the band and everything's around to, him. Totally, and that's that's what happened. My opinion, observation. That's what happened when Faye got involved with Cradle of Filth. It became Danny and the Filths. And the band members, Les, that was an immortal line. When he when he got kicked out or when he left, either way, he said, uh, it's Danny and the Filths now. The original spirit of this band is gone. And he wasn't wrong. Oh, I see. Oh, that's interesting. I, hadn't, I never thought of it like that. But actually, yes, what you're saying does make sense then. Yeah. yeah. And, and, that's, and that's continued right through to, to, to now. Very much so. It's it's got to the point now where, if I was to average it out, a band member leaves about once every eight or nine months. That's right across the span of the career, by the way. It'd be, it'd be greater than that, but I'm being forgiving when I'm saying that. But 42 tenured band members or something like that, there's no other band that's remained relevant in the public eye that has cycled through that many band members when they're actually – it is a band, if that makes sense. It's not just like Alice Cooper, as you're saying, you have these revolving door of musicians coming in and – the bloke who did the you know different drummers for different tracks on different albums, this type of thing, and uh, Danny deserves enormous credit for keeping it on the on the road. But it's it's very much uh, it's a legacy. It's a legacy act these days, like what Foreigner is or anything like that. It's uh, yeah. you got your hardcore fans, but your you people like me who were around back in those days. It's uh, it's basically irrelevant yeah. nowadays. I'm curious. Just are, are there any? Um... Bands coming up, not I don't mean like another cradle, but are there any exciting bands that new ones, young ones coming up that are sort of making waves in the way that Cradle made in that sense, in that scene, or is it not no. not really? No, I think yeah. those days are over, to be honest, mate. I think that was a that was a one time deal, like it is with a lot of scenes, and all of this is pre internet as well, so it had to be it had to be something that had a buzz. You remember the real buzz? You remember Nirvana came out, they had that enormous buzz and. When, I mean, you remember, you remember the Sex Pistols. I mean, this stuff, when it came out, it just felt, you know, it was part of your soul for a period of time. And the death metal and the black metal thing, that was the last movement in heavy metal that really generated that sense of community, if you like, because it, it you went to a show 
and you saw people in Cradle of Filth t-shirts, like, oh, my people, this kind of thing. And these days you've got girls with blue hair and tattoos all over their face working in offices, as in, in law offices these days, <laughs> and for the state government departments and the like. So it's all sort of metastasized really and been uh, accepted. The alternative, if you like, has been accepted into the mainstream, and it more or less is the mainstream nowadays, especially yeah. with woke culture and all of that sort of stuff going on. Yeah. So. Which is why, just to finish off, then, as, as I said, that's in a in a sense, if one was going to look at something, you, in a, you, you almost have to attack the audience because they are so mainstream now that you have to do not not you have to do it deliberately, but you want something that would ruffle their feathers, you know, because it's very, it's very, I mean, the mainstream. They are becoming the mainstream. So if, if you want to. If you want to ruffle something, they they are the mainstream now. You know, you have to do you have to do something, or something would have to happen organically that would, yeah, make them sort of. Well, they, these <laughs> days, the most controversial, the, as you as you well know, in Britain and Australia and the US, Canada, the most controversial thing you can do is come out with a con- conservative opinion. That's that's subversive these days. Yes, it's so yes, ironic it to see it flip on its head. So you flip on its head and and have these uh, woke mobs and these trolls doing their thing. And I think that's had a that's had a marked impact on what the question that you ask. In that, a lot of people are sort of scared to step outside in case they get called something. Racist, yes. sexist, homophobic, this sort of stuff. I mean, I, I I love your images and I see them for what they are, which is pure art. But I imagine that if someone came out with a new style of this sort of stuff these days, you'd get unless the the, the models themselves came out and said, "Look, we choose to do this," and of course they do, evidently because they're being photographed. You'd, you'd face accusations of sexism, and it's it's ridiculous because it's art, and art has always pushed a boundary. Yes, uh, I, yes, I mean, I'm, 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 I can't say what they are, but I've been working on it for the last five years on a on a, on a series of images for an exhibition. So, mm. um, which uh, which I know will be controversial when it uh, when it's when I finally finish, which will be about another year, like about a year to go, I think, before they're all done. So. You'll, oh, you'll I, hope, see I hope it is. <laughs> I hope it is in a good way for you. You know, it gets, gets your work out there. And, you know, I'll, I'll finish on this point. It's, uh, I, I mentioned it up top, so I'll finish on it again. I'll conclude with it, which is that your images have been incredibly meaningful and your art direction has enhanced people's lives. And this is really a, a really important point. And I made this point with Chris is that we're, we're, as, as a young fellow growing up, having the music is one thing, but having these these images as well, it just it gives you something that uh, it makes you feel invigorated, if you like, knowing that someone's out there putting the effort and the work into doing this sort of stuff. And and the other thing too, it stood the test of time because nobody else has done it since. And I, and I wanted you to know that. No, that's good. I, yes, I, I don't. <laughs> yes, I, I, the fact that nobody else has done it since, I find, is um, kind of quite. Uh, Quite flattering, I suppose, in a sense, because it's um, it would be easy to um, well, just one would assume people, other people would go off and and do it, but it, it hasn't happened. It's it's uh, hmm. it's um, nice thing. But what I what I will do, I've got your email address, so it'll take me a few days to sort it out. But I'll get I'll definitely get it to you before the end of, by Friday, uh, which is Perfect. just a selection of stuff that we've been talking about. You know, sort of like the, 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 the I'll scan this and and I'll obviously I've got Polaroids, which would be interesting because I've got Polaroids from the. That shoot with the girls with the blood. I've got that. I've got all the Polaroids from that session. I've got lots of Polaroids from the Dusk and Her Embrace shoot. You know, when we're putting the make the makeup on the model and and the original sketches. And I've got the sketches for the the Last Supper, if oh, you like. Wow. And, yeah. Um, oh, that'd Polaroid. be lovely. Yeah. Perfect. Um, 
and polaroids with rochelle and um and also the vampire the vampire shoot and the nun i've got all i've got basically because i kept the i always kept the polaroids so i just liked them you know this is in the days before everything went digital you know because when mm. uh, the photographer or chris or salvatore or whatever you know when they're testing the lights of course they do they take polaroids you know and so i used to keep them you know because i used to pin them all up but i've still got them so some of them were quite interesting actually just because they kind of give they're quite quite unique in a sense they behind the scenes so i'll scan some of those and um some of the other stuff that, and I'll send you a couple of the um, the ones I just to, you know the, the the ones of those girls I mentioned that I did more recently with the corpse paint stuff because I I rather like those and, and they were done by you know, Chris as well so they'll tie in kind of nicely. I'd, I'd truly appreciate, mate. Yeah, I can't tell you how much we appreciate. I appreciate it doing it. And the, li- the listeners and the the viewers of the YouTube clip will uh, appreciate it as well. It's uh, <laughs> I. I I can't understand why the media, the metal media, aren't more fascinated in the work that you've done to date. You know, the decibels and all of these sorts of people. I don't know why they haven't reached out to you and done a full. The only, well, the only one that did was, um, uh, I think he's Spanish. He wrote a, a published a book on um, uh, various. He's done two volumes of it, I think. I can't remember the hell is it. I can't remember what it's called now. It's a, it's it's a. He basically did. Um, it's in English, but it's a. Uh, you know, like a, a, a sort of coffee table type book on various album covers and uh, and yeah. stuff. So yeah, I can't remember. It's, it's annoying me, but um, that's the only one that did anyway that's ever come to me and uh, and said they wanted to cover yeah. something, you know. I mean, I, look, I am a journalist. I'll allow myself now. That's what I do. But uh, the, I don't work for uh, any of – I would never work for any of these so-called metal mastheads or whatever. I don't like what they do at all. Um, which is why I do what it is that I do, just as a hobby, effectively. But I'm the only mm. one doing it. I'm the only seem to be the only one reaching out to people like you and Chris and asking these questions. And uh, you only have to go on YouTube and see how appreciative the fans are to know that there's a there's a, a there's people want to know. They want to know what happened back then. They want to gain your insight. So you reckon that a few people will watch this one then? <laughs> oh yeah, this one's this one. I I, I messaged when I can't remember when I messaged you. Was it last year or was it this year? Uh, what with the cradle thing? It's either people like you know. Do you remember Sarah, the female who was the lady that was in the band? Um, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So I've been talking to her for the last two years or so, and she wants to have a chat and then she doesn't then she does and and i will i'll always be available whenever she wants to have a conversation because i think she's she's far too important to ignore in the band's full canon if you like but mm. that canon includes includes you too so when i go into wikipedia or encyclopedia metallium and i see your name and these other names like mike exeter uh the uh the engineer on dusk and her embrace uh, got a chat lined up for him hopefully soon, or at least I'm communicating with him. Some of the members flat out say no. They say, it's it's behind me. I don't want to do this. And uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of that that goes on. But, I mean, you get that. I mean, I suppose Danny's the boss and, you know, I don't, you know any, any comments I have about Danny, okay, I understand. You, he's, we're all adults, meaning that you, if we've all been in shitty workplaces and if you don't like your boss, you just quit and get another job and sometimes it sucks yes. and you've invested a lot of energy and time in the role, but so what? Life, just roll with the punches, you know. Sometimes you're on the canvas and you've got to get back up again and uh, a lot of these guys, to their absolute credit, they've all done that. They've all gone on and led successful lives in the way that they want, I believe. Mm. Um, but it's such a huge 
it's such a broad and deep. You wouldn't believe how deep it is, Nigel. Just the amount of people that are involved in Cradle of Filth in that era, because it really the band ended ultimately in about 1999, not long after you stopped being involved. That's right. So, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. There's a couple. Of, there was a documentary on um, on the BBC about. I say documentary. Whether it was a yeah, living uh, with the enemy. Yeah. Was that with all the T-shirts, kids wearing the T-shirts and stuff, I think, or something like that? I can't oh, remember. okay. Uh, sorry, yeah, there was one called Living with the Enemy, which is in the era that you were, oh, just afterwards, 1998. Yeah, that, yeah, that um, sounds about right. Yeah, it, it was okay, but it's no, BBC, seen it, but it was, so. uh, I remember that coming out, because that's when they started to become, that like they were going to be huge, you know. Yeah, look, the, the cradle guys are no different to me. We're all, you know, Catholic or Protestant, middle class, you know, go to well-to-do or, you know, better-than-average high schools and private schools, if you know what I'm saying. Like, we were all pretty much cut from the same cloth. So if you've got a someone's mother in the room, they're not going to start drinking and swearing at her, you know what I mean? So it just showed up that these guys were fairly polite guys from from middle-class society. As I mean, I would, like, who who would do that? And, you know, I know some people do that stuff for because they're idiots, but the cradle mm. guys, they were, they were polite and respectful, and that really came across in that. No, fair enough. No, I, I say I haven't seen. It. I just remember. I just remember because I got my brain starting to to uh, remember various aspects of. Uh... This has been fantastic, Nigel. It's. Uh, I really do. I've said it a couple of times, but I'm just so grateful that you've made the time for this. It's. Uh, it's very meaningful. It's, it's been interesting to do. Well, there you have it, Nigel Wingrove. What a fantastic fella! I'm going to put some links into the show notes if you want to check out more of Nigel's work, and of course, I encourage you to do so. Just another conversation added to the Chronicles of Filth. Wow, we're getting there. Who else is on the radar? Finally, Mike Exeter, maybe Sarah, maybe. And there's a few other members that are bubbling along in terms of the conversations, but nothing committed to just yet. As usual, watch this space. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. There's some messages about my book that are going to come up rather soon. But before we get to that, I need to bid you a fond farewell. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. The messages and the support that I receive for the Chronicles of Filth, yeah, it's very much appreciated. So until next time, it's a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, 
of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was... He was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.